Moments of Truth. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. I just started this show back in March, and my goodness, what a year it has been. 2023 was the long-awaited year of indictments for Donald J. Trump, another year of shame, utter shame for the Republican Party, and a year of victory for women standing up and fighting back, from E. Jean Carroll to Shea Moss and Lady Ruby to yours truly, who put a final nail in the coffin of Trump's favorite means of silencing his critics and avoiding accountability. My refusal to be silent in the face of a tyrant six years ago is of course the reason why you've gotten to know me and the reason this show exists. But if you've been watching from the beginning, you've probably heard me say that I never had starting a podcast in my cards. I'm here because you encouraged me not to wait, to speak more, and as a result, we've created this incredible show that has become so much more than I could have ever imagined. I've learned so much and had the most extraordinary guests who are in the trenches in this battle for democracy to shine a light on the threats we face and the power each one of us holds to defeat them. When I was looking back over the episodes, it was honestly so hard to narrow down highlights from all of the amazing conversations we've had, but I've picked a few that I think you'll love. In the next hour, you'll hear from Mary Trump, Lawrence Tribe, Denver Riggleman, Representative James Tallarico, the lawyers at Crew, Michael Popak, just to name a few. I wanna start off today with um, a woman who is genuinely a champion for other women and one of the most selfless voices for democracy that I know, the friend who Melania Trump never deserved, my friend, Stephanie Winston-Wolkoff. I pray that people that are listening to this really, really listen and understand that the corruption and the disingenuineness and the um, deceit and the deception is all very real and that they want nothing good for you at all. And if you think otherwise, I don't know how to explain to you that they tried to take my life down. And I mean, I almost died. I was in the hospital for over a month, uh, two spinal fusions later. And the first lady, Melania Trump, actually said publicly that I brought that upon myself. Sick. It's sick. It's sick. And no, not one person commented on it. Not one. It's the first time I'm actually even talking about it. I brought that upon myself. How dare you? So I want Melania Trump to know that she will be held accountable and she will have to answer certain questions at a certain point in time because her talking points mean nothing, absolutely nothing. And I do hope the investigators do have her signals that I have. And I hope that they have her text messages. And I hope that they have every email that has was written on a non-government email address because those emails show Melania is very well aware of everything. What you said about her making that sick comment that you brought it upon yourself, it, it to me is a reflection of every single gaslit effort that they make uh, to try to deflect their misdeeds, their criminality on other people. Um, before I go more into that, Stephanie, I just wanna tell you, you know I've told you this one-on-one, -on -one, you have so earned your right to take your peace and your happiness back um, what you went through was unthinkable, um, and you are totally 
worthy of, of peace now for the path that you have chosen to take. Thank you. And, and so are you. You know, I do. I, I, I do believe that we um, will feel some comfort in just knowing. Again, I, 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 don't, I don't wish bad on anyone. I don't wish bad on the Trumps. I just wish that they are held accountable for what they've done. In this week that has been 500 years, I want to go back to um, Jenna Ellis pleading guilty because I think it's so telling. It's so there's so much in here. The the false Christianity, the you know, finally admitting everything was a lie. Let's just play crying Jenna, can we? Please do. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information, especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people of Georgia. Thank you. Uh, well, Jenna, cut, cut back on the helium. That would be my first advice to you. Um, <laughs> she's so full of shit. It's, it's painful. Um, a couple of things. I mean... I she calls herself a servant of Jesus Christ on her Twitter profile. I just want to put I'm that out there. I'm so sick of these people shoving their religion down our throats as if that excuses anything they do. Um, in fact, if they were as, as devout as they claim to be, they wouldn't be doing the things they're doing. Look That's at it. you, Mike Johnson. Um, so, okay. When she said, if I had known then what I know now, I wish the judge had said, what exactly did you not know then that you claimed to know now? I, it just, it's all, I don't know. Uh, I Let's put it this way. She better have, she better come up with the goods because um, that was, that was a, a very poor performance. I'm glad, luckily for her, Roger Ebert is no longer alive to uh, give a review. Um, as Christians, like I said, beginning this interview, faith, without works is dead, like you so beautifully said, and we have to do more than just offer thoughts and prayers. We have to have those prayers lead to action, don't we? That's exactly right. You know, the Republican congressman who represents Allen, Texas in the U.S. House said over the weekend that the solution to the epidemic of gun violence in this country is more prayer. And as a devout Christian, I believe in the power of prayer. I think prayer can change lives and change the world, but there is something deeply cynical about asking God to solve a problem that you're not willing to solve yourself. God works through us. God moves through us. God has no other hands but our hands. We prayed 
and God sent moms from around the state <laughs> policies to prevent these massacres from occurring. And Texas Republicans ignored them. We prayed and God sent these families from Uvalde who traveled 160 miles and waited 13 hours to testify for this bill and we ignored them. And God sent Representative Tracy King of Uvalde, Texas to sponsor and push this bill to raise the age. And until this morning, we were ignoring him. So we have to recognize that we participate in God's work and to say anything else is biblical heresy. I think there's so many, I, I get this kind of feedback so often from our, our viewers on Lights On, there's so many Christians out there that have that have either felt alienated by this certain um, movement within Christianity on the right to be, like you said, exclusionary. I happen to, anytime I hear the term Christian nationalist, I'm like, whoa, whoa, this is an oxymoron. There's nothing nationalist about Christianity. Christianity yeah. is a universal doctrine. That's right. That's um, but I, 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 it's so inspiring and I think so necessary for Christians and non-Christians alike to have voices like yours, um, just just being an example of what living the faith is. Uh, like I said when we teased your interview last week on this show, um, you know, one of one of the tenets of of Christianity that is so special to me and that I live by is, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And yeah. and that of course means that we are not forcing our works onto others if they are so inspired by our example beautiful but yeah. um the foundation of this beautiful country is that we are all free to make those choices as yeah. as we are led um and so i i just i think it's so beautiful because there's so many people out there that i think have been alienated from the christian church on, in one on one hand because of of these these exclusionary and often very bigoted and hateful efforts and there are others that um that that, you know, um, I think have a very poor concept of Christianity because of it. And, and there's this unnecessary division. And then I think the most, the most dangerous is that, um, the politicians who, who, who cover themselves with this banner of Christianity, but do not live it, like I said, are, are misleading people like I used to be into thinking that they can be trusted because they are people of faith. That's right. Yeah, I, I'm so happy that you pointed out that Christian nationalism is an oxymoron. Um, you'll, you'll remember from scripture that when Satan uh, attempts to, to uh, tempt Jesus, one of the things that Satan offers is all the political power in the world, all the kingdoms on earth. And Jesus rejects that temptation. And so that should tell us that political power is something that comes from Satan, not from Jesus, right? As you mentioned, Christianity is a universal uh, religion of love. Brad, in your practice, have you ever come across parties with clearances holding documents such as these in their bathroom? No. That's a hard no. Hard no. Not in their shower or in their white and gold ballroom. No, mostly just because most of them know that the white and gold ballroom just looks really tacky. But beyond yeah. that, no. <laughs> no. 
Well, the other thing, one other thing that we learned from the indictment today is that, in fact, there was a lot of discussion last week when we learned about that audio from Bedminster, um, that it was, we weren't sure if it was actually a classified document. And the special counsel alleges in this unsealed indictment that um, the Iran attack plan that was referenced in that Bedminster audio was, in fact, a classified document. Um, isn't that an extraordinary risk to U.S. national security? I mean, wouldn't Brad, foreign adversaries pay tens of millions of dollars for that kind of information? Of course, easily. And we know that Mar-a-Lago was just rife with intelligence vulnerabilities. There were foreign nationals coming in there, some of whom got indicted later on for their actions trying to infiltrate Mar-a-Lago. It certainly wasn't secure by any means. And these boxes were sitting everywhere. They're they sitting in the bathroom. They're sitting, you know, in the ballroom on the stage. Anybody could have gotten a hold of them. And that's a risk the U.S. government could not tolerate anymore. And in terms of the Iran war document, you know, and I don't believe that's actually cited as a specific point for one of the underlying counts, but rather is a factual background that goes to Donald Trump's knowledge, his awareness and his intent that he understood that he had documents in his possession that were still classified. He know he, he knew he no longer had the ability to declassify him. He knew he had not declassified them before leaving and he did not return them to the United States government. They still do not have them. We don't know where they are, which is a terrifying thought on its own. But that just is one more piece of this factual foundation that you're going to see when this gets to trial as to how much Donald Trump really did understand the process, how much he was aware of how this is supposed to work, and how much he disregarded all of that to act as his own judge, jury, and executioner on what is and is not legally permissible when it comes to classified documents. Process. Aren't people who are afraid of political backlash or unrest in this moment from our us exercising our constitutional duty being short-sighted as to the long-term effects of letting Donald Trump on the ballot and potentially abusing his constitutional duty again? Well, I think they are being very short-sighted because it may be the case that appeasement is the path to tranquility momentarily. But in the long run, if we take those parts of the Constitution that we think are inconvenient to enforce or whose enforcement might cause backlash and then put them on the back burner or worse still, shred them or do what Donald Trump has said openly and explicitly that he would do, namely, he would trash those parts of the Constitution that got in his way. He said he would, I think his word wasn't just suspend, it, it was eliminate. I forgot the precise word he used. but Terminate. Terminate. Yes, he was going to terminate. Well, once we start terminating parts of the Constitution that don't work well for us at the moment, that's the ball game. I mean, then it's the strong man rules. It's might makes right. And some people who temporarily think they will not be the victims of the retribution that Donald Trump says he will bring, for one thing, they may be wrong. There may be a lot of victims. For another, you may not be his victim, but you will be somebody else's. If you really want chaos, if you want a world without law, a world where the laws that are inconvenient are shredded. Just think what that means. If you are, if you were a believer in the Second Amendment, for example, taking it seriously, you want to take it seriously. Well, there's a lot of debate about what is or is not a permissible firearms regulation. 
But if people say that the Second Amendment has outlived its utility, right? Too many people have died. So let's, we don't have the votes to amend it out of the Constitution. Let's just erase it, pretend it's not there. Well, that would be pretty convenient. And for all the people who die in mass shootings in America, I know that that's a temptation. But you don't hear them saying, let's just shred the Second Amendment, let's get rid of it. I think once you start doing that, we are down a path that knows no end. And I just absolutely refuse to go in that direction. It also is not practical. I mean, if what you want is to avoid violence, the last thing you need is a president of the United States who foments violence, who has done it throughout his career. Whenever he has these rallies, he kind of encourages violence. We know what he does. He encouraged obviously encouraged violence against his own vice president on January 6th. So you really think you're going to get peace under this guy? It's it's both short-sighted, you know, and even in the short run, it's rather foolish. I have a story, I don't think I've ever told it before, uh, about what happened with me in the Trump world while I was working at ABC News, directly related to what you're talking about. I was on any platform I was on, whether it was Good Morning America or, or This Week with George, I would constantly rip Donald Trump and the GOP. And so much so, and then he got offended by it. Uh, and he and others at the White House started calling uh, the CEO of ABC News to get me fired. Wow. Um, or otherwise, they were threatening they were gonna they were going to cut off access to members of the cabinet and to Donald Trump and the vice president or whatever. Um, I'll give it to ABC. They didn't, they never fired me. I left there uh, a couple of years ago because I wanted to do something new. But that to me, you talk about a restriction on a First Amendment and you talk about what you're doing to have Donald Trump, but names you, you well know that are in his circle to call up ABC News to try to get me fired because I was saying critical things about Donald Trump. It's very, very serious. Yeah, that's that's a, that's extraordinary. I'm not surprised. But people, people, Matt, do not understand the threat that he posed. I mean, it's just shocking to me when even right now, last night, today, they raise this free speech defense of his yeah. and they do not call out at the same time that he was the most flagrant violator of free speech. I mean, you just told us a very personal story. He attacked the fourth estate in Incessantly, he branded them along with Steve Bannon, the enemy of the people, for God's sakes. He tried to take Jim Acosta's reporter pass away. Yep. He, I mean, this is what, I mean, Donald Trump, if he, God forbid, gets in office again, is going to try to get the FCC to revoke licenses. Of people oh, yeah, he'll have his enemies him. list. He'll have his Absolutely. enemies list. Absolutely. Uh, Jessica, not to be sounding condescending, uh, I would urge your audience to watch one of your program where you discuss the legal jeopardy that Trump faces. Uh, after listening to that program, I doubted that uh, any patriotic, democracy-loving uh, American would allow him any consideration to be the leader of this country. Uh, that program was very well put together it has uh, an amazing, amazing effects uh, that uh, Trump 
is facing because of his own acts of disregard of the rule of law and our constitution. So we are grateful. Uh, and, and, and it is in the, in the same context I say that, uh, and we have seen his, uh, his uh, uh, disrespect towards not only the service members and the leaders of our armed forces, but to media as well. Uh, from the inception of his announcement to run for president, he had uh, shown such a disregard, such a disrespect to, to our free press. As I said earlier, that our free press is voice of our democracy. Throughout the world, people enviously look up to our media for its freedom, for its expression, for its uh, sharing and bringing the information to the public. And he had, uh, uh, he had nothing but uh, disrespect and disregard for our, uh, for our media. So I compliment you for continuing to be the voice of democracy. Uh, and uh, uh, United States faces challenges. Our democracy faces challenges uh, in the world. Our adversaries were very happy to see a person like Trump in the White House. They were celebrating. They were delighted that, uh, that uh, uh, the disgrace that he has brought to the United States and its highest office. Uh, uh, therefore, history tells us that uh, this person has disqualified himself. In our opinion, he was disqualified to begin with, but uh, some thought that he may uh, be different than how we saw him. So his own actions, his own disregard of our institutions, of our men and women serving in uniform, our veterans, their families, these men and women serving in uniform, defending our country of democracy, our veterans that have defended us, uh, our veterans' families, these are the best of America. These are the people that have really protected our democracy, our freedoms. We owe them so much and we respect them and we keep them on the highest pedestal uh, in that regard. As I said, that I was, I was very saddened to, to hear the statement that General Kelly had made, and, and American people are realizing that what a danger to the national security that Trump had been. Absolutely, Kaiser. There's so much in plain sight that shows that he is not allied with our interests as much as he goes out there and his sycophants go out there and claim America first. Um, the evidence is in plain sight that he is putting our adversaries first. Um, I, I want to thank you so much for your kind words, especially about our show. I really, really it warms my heart so much to know that people know about Lights On and to hear from someone like you especially is quite an honor. So Thank you so much, Kaiser. I took really special notes to, to, to use them in my conversation. And uh, if you, uh, I know you conducted the program, but if you listen to it, uh, you will 
be hard on that as well. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. You. I've read reports, I think that latest report you shared with me, Professor Tribe, that it could take these funds, it could take a year to reach Kiev once this is authorized. Um, only about $5 billion is, is held in the U.S. of that $300 billion. As you discussed, you think that the U United States um, should take that leadership step, that first step. Um, can you just explain the urgency of doing this as soon as possible? Well, with every passing day, atrocities go on uh, in Ukraine. Those atrocities were in many ways a model for what Hamas uh, did this past Saturday uh, and may continue to do in Israel. In fact, it, the connection between what Putin has done in Ukraine with the support of Iran uh, and what Putin, with Iran's support, have helped Hamas to do in Israel is a very tight link. Rather than letting the devastation go on indefinitely, we really have to begin as soon as possible the task of reconstruction. Some people seem to think that because getting all of the money over there will take months or maybe a year, that it isn't so urgent. But on the contrary, the longer it takes, the more important it is to begin, not today, but yesterday. It seems to me that it's entirely illogical to say that we can just let the money sit there and do nothing while people die, while bridges are devastated, while roads are destroyed, while buildings and hospitals are are, are blasted, uh, we really need to begin right away. You know, you, you're talking about making those compromises to maybe stay in a power for, you know, what in your mind was a calculation of, you know, greater good in the long term. So put yourself in that mindset of maybe having made those compromises, not losing that primary in 2020, becoming the Republican candidate, still supported by Trump, winning your district, being now still a sitting Republican member of Congress. Would you be the same Denver Riggleman that we know today who's very outspoken? Or would you be making those compromised calculations to maybe just try to do what you were justifying to yourself was a greater long-term um, agenda. You know, even when I accepted that um, second endorsement, which was a tepid one at that time, because they already knew that I was down the track on another way. I already told the guys, even though I accept I'm not voting for them. And, you know, they're like, holy shit, Dan. I'm like, well, I didn't before. So, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, doesn't hurt me too much, but you know, here I am. I'm like, I do I have to keep these kind of secrets just to not let these type of individuals win? So I think I want to tell you, Jessica, that I would have been the same Denver Riggleman. I don't know. And that's what scares the hell out of me. Power is a is a sexy thing. You know, I got the first reservations at Capitol Grill, Jessica. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's you know, it's a it's a sexy thing. But on the other hand, I think I would have been kicked out eventually. I think I'd have been the first congressman charged uh, in the in the modern era with a physical altercation against some of the people from the Freedom Caucus. <laughs> because even then, even if I won, even if I won that church convention, which was only twenty five hundred people, if you remember, and mm -hmm. you know where they didn't want, they they tried to disenfranchise as many people because they didn't want me to win because I was a bad Republican. I mean, whoo, I was on the climate change caucus. Yeah. Um, oh, I officiated a same sex wedding. I think actually that would have happened at some point because I was already down the line by that time. Even if I would have won that, I was already down the line of F this. 
And I, and I do, I, I am being very honest about that, but once you're yeah. back in, you know, this Jessica, once I take the oath again, I'm like, well, you know, for fundraising, I need to send out a fundraising message that says Nancy Pelosi is a socialist. I need to make sure I have a picture with me with my pistol because I meet sure I got to I got to I got to make sure that I'm messaging to the NRA. Well, I mean, am I still going to do that stuff? But like now, what am I going to do? Basically, I, you have to be a sellout is what you're saying, a complete sellout to survive. A complete sellout. You have to because there's only two parties. And I don't think the two party system survives the social media alternative media age. I just I think it's impossible. I don't know if we need a third party, but we need another way. I think if we had something, you know, God, I, I'm not really even a Star Wars fan, but we need a this is the way Mandalorian thing going on where somebody actually comes out and says, hey, you know, we need another way besides this tribal stuff. Now, people like Denver don't want about ism the left and the right. I'm not. Listen, I know the far right's going to hold my beer a moment. OK, but, you know, the tribalism is awful and you do have to sell your soul to be part of the tribal system in one way or the other, if you're going to be in politics today. And that's why I say that integrity and winning elections are most times mutually exclusive. Well, I hope that, I hope that you would have been that Denver Riggleman if it took a fist fight on the floor of the house to show your, oh, your God. character, we would have been here for it. Hey, um, hey, I might be old, Jessica, but I'm also slow. You're not old. Hey, on the lights on, age ain't nothing but a number. You are not old. That's right. <laughs> we are not calling anybody old here on lights on. <laughs> yeah, this has been amazing. Thank you. So this has been amazing. It is breathtaking. And yeah, Johnny McEntee, a prick. Someone with a complete overblown sense <laughs> of self-importance. For, for a person who chastised me for making fun of Chung's appearance, you had no problem with McEntee. All right, go ahead. Oh no, McEntee is a piece of piece of work. And you know, I'll tell you. Uh, let me tell. Let me just give you a, a a preview of my um. You know what I will write about Johnny McEntee. Like this guy thinks he's good looking, and mm. like I thought he was repulsive because of his attitude. And he, you know, he didn't like that. And so he was extremely disgustingly condescending to me on yeah. more than one instance. And he, um, you know, he kind of felt my, you know, just disinterest in him <laughs> and was kind of taken aback by it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, they're gross for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just get Jessica to use the P word on her own show? <laughs> it's not a bad word. Loyalty is more important than policy because you can teach people policy, but you can't teach them loyalty. So the first most important thing is, are you truly loyal to Trump? And again, not to the policies. Are you truly loyal to Trump? Yeah. And the thing is about the thing about this, and this is like a concept that I really wrestled with over the Trump years, because I had this weird phenomenon, Jonathan, where I unfortunately, you know, I've discussed a lot about this in other contexts on my show, how blind I was, how naive, how much, you know, I gave a pass to the horrific things and didn't listen to the angel voices in my head. But as far as from a loyalty perspective, like I was tragically pretty loyal to this man. The problem is that you can be loyal, like in the sense of, oh, I'm loyal to my family. I'm loyal to my friends. That doesn't mean you forsake your principles. Like even the people you love most, 
when push comes to shove, if they do something that's self-destructive or hurting others, you're going to tell them the truth about that. So yeah. this is even a really flawed sense of loyalty because these people ultimately are loyal to their own self-preservation. Donald Trump is the ticket to that. So it's almost, you know, it loyalty, we use this term a lot, but it's a cover for what they're doing for their own selves. And it's ultimately just this raw quest for power that's driving all of these people from the people who would sign up for 2025 to as you describe so, you know, brilliantly in your book, the state of the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's absolutely the case. And uh, there's actually a description in the book from none other than Tucker Carlson, uh, who uh, who I who I talked to. By the way, this book, um, you know, ninety plus percent of the people I spoke to for this book are Republicans. The vast majority of them, people who were supportive, some still supportive of Donald Trump or worked for Donald Trump. Um, so, the, the, you know, this is this is the people that saw him up close and understand what he's all about. And there's a there's a there's a quote in there from Tucker Carlson describing the people around Trump in the most unflattering way as, as social climbers just trying to get. He said it was disgusting. They're just trying to, you know, get get their own sense of self-importance. Um, many of these people would never have worked for a uh, for any other White House. Would never have any position of any consequence in in a uh, in, in, in any other presidential campaign. Uh, so they th their power, in some cases, their self worth uh, comes directly from you know, what, what, whatever they can get out of Donald Trump. Talk about the burden of proof and this being a civil case, very different from the criminal cases bring, being brought against Donald Trump. You do not have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. You just have to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that uh, Donald Trump's actions fall into the definition of Section 3 and he should therefore be barred from appearing on the ballot and holding office. Is that correct? That, that's absolutely correct. And that's incredibly insightful. Uh, and Jessica, the reason why that's important is because so many people are bringing up about this. Well, he hasn't been charged and he hasn't been convicted. The 14th Amendment says nothing about conviction. And in fact, when they drafted the 14th Amendment, I think a lot of uh, the drafters understood that there wouldn't be convictions or charges. But what they were really saying is this isn't a punishment. The 14th Amendment isn't a punishment. The 14th Amendment just simply says you are not qualified to run for office. Um, it's not like you're getting fined or you're going to jail um, like you would for criminal prosecution. And that's why you have that lower standard by a preponderance of the evidence. I, I think we have a better chance of winning than some of these criminal um, complaints, the, the, the criminal, um, you know, the prosecutors that are bringing charges against him because they do have that higher burden to get across. Uh, they may win, they may not, but I think we actually have an even better chance because of that difference. We have a constitution and we have courts for these hard questions. Um, and the Colorado Supreme Court wrestled with them and we believe reached the right conclusion. Um, and it's our expectation that the US Supreme Court will wrestle with these questions and reach the, the right conclusion based on the facts and the law without fear or favor uh, and without consideration of the uh you know uh, uh, of the sort of political element here right I, you know again we are only here because of donald trump and his actions and so to Honestly. the extent that you know the 
there are political ramifications for the former president or people who s- support him, despite the fact that he engaged in insurrection. That is the price that we have to pay for having a constitution and for enforcing it, even when it's difficult, and for having the rule of law. And that those are the consequences that the former president has to pay for engaging in an insurrection, which we, the nation and the world, watched in horror as it happened. Yeah, I often say, Donald on Lights On, that uh, Donald Trump is engaged in a criminal impunity plan where he, um, you know, repeatedly tries to use politics to get out of legal accountability. Um, So it's it's not, uh, you know, political to save our democracy from his tyranny, um, his actions to avoid being accountable to the Constitution and the law are political. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that, you know, I think gets lost is. Ballot challenges happen in every state, in every election, all the time. They usually are adjudicated without much incident. It's not like the Hassan case got a lot of attention when it was brought because, you know, Hassan was some random guy running for president. Um, But if we're to be a constitutional democracy, the law has to apply, whether it's some random guy who has no chance of winning um, or the front runner for a major political party, right? The constitution is the thing that is... at least so far as I was told, is meant to make us equal in the eyes of the law. And so if that's the case, then Donald Trump needs to be treated the same way that anybody else would. You know, in this era, a lot of people have had the opportunity, particularly from within the ranks of the Republican world, Trump world, to do the right thing, to stand up for constitution, for the country, for principle. And a lot of them have, and I think, out of fear. Uh, fear of the retaliation of what could happen to them. But you somehow had the courage to do it. Uh, and I'm curious how you found that and what advice you have for others who could possibly consider following your very admirable path. I would say you only live this life once. I think that the, a lot of these people who live in silence and fear and do not speak what they know to be true are not happy and satisfied and fulfilled. This cannot be a, um, this cannot be a healthy way to live. And I realized in that moment in 2017, two things. And this was something I was very reluctant to acknowledge. I wanted, I, I didn't think my, what I had experienced was important enough to matter to anybody else. And I had to reject that kind of false humility um, and, and overcome that and realize the real selfless thing was to realize that I did have value that mattered to the world. The second thing was that I didn't think I could live with myself, and I ultimately determined I couldn't if I didn't take action in that moment. I wouldn't have credibility for anything in the rest of my life if I didn't take a stand then. I would say to Republicans out there or people in the GOP who are standing silent in the midst of this knowing better, you only live this life once. At the end of the day, it's not going to be a political party or a ballot booth that judges you. It's it's going to be something much higher. Why wait? Why put it off? Why not live your life to the fullest right now when when the whole world is counting on you? You're the ones who will be shamed and looked back upon as why did you not speak up when it mattered? You have an opportunity now to change course. You will find your freedom and a path forward. 
Amen, Jessica. And may may people follow your very, very impressive lead. That was a wonderful Ian Basson, founder of Protect Democracy, the extraordinary group that joined my initially pro se legal battle to end Trump's infamous NDAs. This October, we had a massive victory that opened the floodgates for hundreds of formerly gagged Trump staffers to speak the truth to the American people. It was a huge victory for democracy, but shockingly, this case has not been covered by the major networks. So you better believe we covered it on Lights On. I had the pleasure of introducing you to some of my brilliant lawyers, John Langford, Joe Slaughter, and David Bowles. And I took care of some housekeeping this year that I've literally been avoiding for years, um, calling out the media for sweeping our accomplishments under the rug. Mary Trump had some thoughts on that too. Here are those highlights. One of the things that I find most impressive about what you did and sort of how you um, initiated the drive that led to the result um, last week is that you took on the Trump campaign at the moment that it was at its apex of its power. Donald Trump had just won the presidential election. He was the president. He was in the business of silencing people and after and aggressively going after people who said anything remotely bad about him. And you alone started this lawsuit to uh, push back on that and turned out to be right on the law and turned out to be right in terms of what was just and what was important for the country. So it's a remarkable achievement. Thank you so much, John. And you I have no more excuses for silence. We are dealing with, with an epidemic of silence in this country where um, could could any of you guys have imagined that we would be dealing with Donald Trump as a candidate once again for 2024 after he tried to overthrow American democracy. This is absolutely obscene. Now more than ever is the time for people to speak out. Now they are free because of our work. And most importantly, it's something that's been said a couple of times, but I just want to put a, an exclamation point on it. The judge entered an order which has an injunction, and the injunction says neither the campaign or any other third party is allowed to try to enforce an agreement like this at all. And what that means is it's not, now, it, now it's not a contract anymore. Now it's a federal court order. And if anyone out there is listening to this that thinks they may be subject to one of these things or is currently facing an enforcement action from Trump or the campaign or anyone associated with him, you need to know that that is not allowed. That is in violation of a court order. That is contempt of court. And, um, you know, you feel free to reach out to any of the lawyers or Jessica on this call um, to discuss what your options are. But that is that is the key piece of this relief. There is a court that has said you may not try to enforce these things anymore, period. Um, and that's a really powerful thing. And I, I just want, you know, Jessica's entire entire audience to know that if they take one thing away from this, it's that. Absolutely. hundred percent, Joe. Thank you so much for that. And yes, that is the whole goal here to open up these floodgates so that there is active participation in our democracy. This is the whole point. This is what authoritarians try to do. They try to stifle debate and criticism. And that has been the goal of this team to remove that roadblock and allow, um, you know, truthful voices, participatory voices in our democracy to um be able to speak without fear. You absolutely have that right now. And if you wish to take it, 
it is yours to take. I wanted to, before we wrap, I just address one more point. A lot of people have said, oh, Trump will appeal this. He appeals everything. This isn't over. Absolutely not. Explain, David, to us why this is not appealable and this is a done deal. Well, we wrote it into the agreement for one thing. It's not appealable because this was ultimately a settlement. That means both sides came together. We negotiated. We argued. Uh, went back and forth. At the end of the day, in terms of protection of the class, we got everything we wanted. Uh, but it was nonetheless a compromise. Uh, to be fair, they could have paid us attorneys more money. But in terms of protection of the class, 100% uh, relief for them, as uh, John has already put on the record very well. We got the injunction. We got the protection for the class. They're fully released from these things. Uh, as Joe said very well, everybody listening to this podcast should know that now, if you were a worker, if you uh, were subject to uh, one of these NDAs two weeks ago, you are not subject to them today. You can speak out, and I would encourage you to do so. My motto for years has been silence is not an option. But I want to take a moment today to address something I have been largely silent on. The media's coverage, or lack thereof, of my case. Viewers who have found me on this network, and great credit to them, have often asked, um, going back to when I first appeared and up to this day, why is this the first time I've heard of you? Given what my team and I have accomplished, it's not normal. And it would be dishonest of me to continue pretending that it is. When I first started this fight back in 2017, I almost had to step back from myself to acknowledge something I was so desperately resisting, that if I was ever going to make a difference in a suffering world, which I cared deeply to do, I had to start defending my own worth, to recognize that I had value and that my well-being and success mattered to the world. Six years later, I think maybe even now more than ever, I need to step back and stand up for this woman again. She, me, but let's just distance. I, I, I find distancing myself gives me permission and maybe that's wrong, maybe I shouldn't have to. But this woman took on a president's campaign at the apex of his power without means, and even without legal support. She was a citizen who was threatened with bankruptcy for speaking the truth about a man who threatened to end democracy, and does to this day. She came clean long before many others to sound the alarm without a book to sell. And she was proving in courts of law before a single criminal count was ever filed that Donald J. Trump is not invincible. He is not above the law. Two weeks ago, this woman and the team she has amassed since starting alone through epic defeats and triumphs forever nullified the means through which the world's preeminent con artist, an American dictator in waiting, silenced hundreds of people and hid the truth from the American people. You would think that this story was worthy, worthy of telling the American people. It is, and yet, I'll call them out, CNN and MSNBC have not reported this. I know there are wars raging and devastating and unprecedented news is incessant. But there are shows that report Trump legal news ad nauseum and have not taken 30 seconds to report this or, or the developments of this case in years, um, with some exceptions where my name was notably omitted from news about my case. Um, in fact, I think the dire state of the world 
that we are in is even more reason why a story like this must be told. People need to know what is possible. People need to know that a woman was behind this and that it was not money or power, so-called in the world's conception of power, that led her to victory against the terrorist that is Donald Trump. People need to know that good is alive and that when truth is applied and fought for, it prevails. I borrowed that line that I opened the show with, the truth matters, but only if you see it, from the anchor of the 11th hour on MSNBC. I appreciate her, as I do many of the anchors and their shows. And I just want this audience to know that I have made myself available to all of these shows as I write my book well before I publish. And I've been making myself available for years, actually. Um, I do not aspire to be a fixture in cable news, far from it. But the lack of coverage in such a significant case to our democracy and the man who threatens to take it all away is not only bizarre, it is wrong. Our democracy, the future of the free world is on the line and the major networks dwindling as they may be cannot afford to fail in my case or any other. I know you're watching me. We're watching you too. Um, I, honestly, I, I'd like to just go back to what you opened with. Please. Oh, I love that. Please. <laughs> well, I, I think one, it's the, yes, the, the case itself is, is important and has flown under the radar, but it's also a reminder of how much gets lost when we, uh, when our corporate media focus almost exclusively on the sensational and I'm, again, as you mentioned, there's a lot of very serious stuff going on in the world. Yes. There always is, yes. but even when there isn't, uh, the media seems to lose sight of important issues that get lost if they don't focus on them. So mm -hmm. anyway, I appreciate your opening. I think it's, it's very important to remind people um, not just about <clears throat> individual cases or uh, individual newsworthy events happening in, in the country, but also the uh, actual people behind these stories. Those people making it happen, the unsung heroes on my team are headed to trial in 2024 with the human rights lawsuit that started it all. I was among the first to hold the Trump campaign accountable and you better believe I'm happy to finish the job, especially because our case has flown under the radar. We really need your support and we need it now more than ever. If you're able, we would love so much to have your support. You can contribute to our legal fund at thejessicadenson.com slash donate, thejessicadenson.com slash donate. A lot of you have asked me, Jessica, when is your book coming out? As I've started to talk about some of the things I'm writing about, the Trump actors I've interacted with, my journey, it's truly gonna blow you away and I can't wait to share it with you. My expectation is that it will come out in the spring of 2024 and I'm doing everything to get that to the printers and get that alarm sounded as soon as possible. I know the stakes right now in this moment are so Hi. As I'm writing, I often think about you, the ones who have been with me on this journey, really 
from the beginning in the early stages. Your support and encouragement has absolutely meant the world. And I wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you wanna go back and check out the full episodes from today, you can find them all on my YouTube page, Jessica Denson. Subscribe to Jessica Denson to find all of our episodes from Lights On, the opens that I write to try to condense what we've been dealing with each week and how we can confront these threats. Some of the uh, highlighted clips that I showed today and many more, I condense them and put them on my YouTube page. So definitely subscribe to Jessica Denson on YouTube. There were honestly a lot of things I wanted to cover today, but if I did them all, we'd be here for hours. One of them was to correct a few mistakes that I've made, probably that you haven't even noticed, but um, have been pretty important to me. Didn't get a chance to do that all today, but one um, pretty glaring error that I made just last week was when I was speaking about the atrocities in the Middle East. And I said that um, they had, we had reached the 2000 mark of deaths in Gaza. I, of course, meant 20,000. That number is now up to nearly 22,000. Um, this sick killing of the Palestinian people, unprecedented killing of journalists, humanitarian workers, doctors, it must stop. It is not in the interest of Israeli security and it has to end. Um, so that is one correction. Maybe later we'll come back and do some of the, those other corrections that we didn't get to today. Uh, lastly, I had promised you in previous weeks a new poem for those of you who have caught my poetic offerings in the past, and I'm working on it, but things have been a little bit hectic this week and poems have to be inspired. I haven't had the time to finalize that yet. So in the meantime, I will leave you with my verses inspired by Tommy Tuberville, which hold very much true. Um, so enjoy them and please everybody have a very, very happy new year and never let anyone put out your light. Every moment is a chance for the rot to come clean and bring forth the blessings our nation will glean. Until then, they're desperately wielding their power, in vain with intent for the righteous to cower. In the Senate now, freshman Tommy is the resident bluffer who cries woke with no meaning but to make women suffer now he's taken aback by our troops' love of poems. Never served a day in his life, so how would he know him? Hey, Tommy, leave our verses and anthems alone. And please, Alabama, can't we get back Doug Jones? Tom's been racist and tasteless, a coach with no game, now abetting our enemies for 15 minutes of fame. And speaking of coaches, how was yours, Jordy Jim? You attack Alvin, Fonny, and Jack, but turned a blind eye to him? Men suffered under your watch, and that was your test. Abuse is just fine to you. It's the law you detest, which is probably why you never pass the bar. Your committee assignment is really a bridge way too far. And whether with Jim or with Tommy, the silent enablers abet. They could rise up in a moment, but sure haven't yet. Of course, it's all about fear and their criminal dear leader not offending his base, who needs them to see clearer. No thank you, they say, to being loyal to truth. They've chosen a man or their money or the next ballot booth. And they miss that this whole calculation is short-sighted. They'll continue to lose 
and the wrongs will be righted.